in our life, when we don't know who to turn to, when we don't know if it ever gets better, let us turn to you and your word, because you have promised us it does get better. There will be a place with no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, when we all get to heaven. That is our assurance in you. So anything we may face on this earth doesn't really matter. Because we belong to you, we are not of this world. Let us use our limited time here, our limited capacity here, doing what we were created to do. Worship you in spirit and in truth with our whole lives, with everything that we do. Let us not just sing songs of praise, but let us praise you with our actions, with the way that we treat other people, with the way that we go into this world. Let us be witnesses. Let us go and spread the gospel to make disciples of all people to the ends of the earth. Jesus Christ, you are magnificent and you are powerful and you are worthy. We cast our cares on you in all things. So again, these words that we have lifted up in praise to you as a congregation, let them not just be empty melodies, but let us recognize the truths contained within the songs and how they teach us truths in scripture. Let us not be afraid. Let us not be dismayed. Let us take courage, for we know that you have overcome the world. It is in Jesus Christ's magnificent, glorious, loving name that we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Please have a seat, everyone. All right, all right. It's time for our children to come up here for the children's message. If you're a child, we want you to come up here and sit with me for a few minutes. All right, come on up here. Hey, everybody. All right. All right. Is that everybody? Everybody who wants to come up here? All right. Look at this big group of kids we have. I'm so glad you guys are here with us today to worship Jesus. Does anybody have a pet at home? Oh, come on. All right. All right. Let's go through. What kind of, what do you have? What? You have a betta fish? What do you have? You have a cat? I love cats. What do you got? You got a dog? What do you have? You have a cat? What do you have? Dog? Two cats? Hermit crabs and a dog. What do you have? Two dogs. And a hamster. What do you have? You got a dog? Cat. Do you guys love animals? Did everyone get to share? If you have one, did you get to share what you have? What do you have? None, but you help take care of my animal, right? Okay, so we love our pets, right? Do y'all love your pets? Well, you can come visit mine one day. I got a pet at home. It's a dog. His name's Hawkeye. He's a Labrador retriever. He's ginormous. And he's fun to play with. And if he could be here today to play with you guys, he would because he loves kids. Now, it's interesting. You know what I love about my dog? When I go in the backyard 
that dog stands next to me the whole time. Like if I'm out there in the back cutting the grass, he runs behind me in the lawnmower. If I'm out there working on something, trying to fix something, he sits next to me. Uh, oftentimes he'll leave and, and go attack all the lizards to make sure that they don't get to me because they're so dangerous, right? Those tiny lizards. He protects me from the lizards. He's Hawkeye. He's very faithful. Uh, and he's always by my side. Is that how your cats are and your pets at home? They, they're around? They, that's why you like them? No, yours? Does yours hide? He chases after you, like attacks you. Well, it's a cat. They're different. I like cats, though. So my dog is very trustworthy, very faithful. When I come home, if he's in the house, you know what he does every single time? He comes right up to me, and he beats me with his tail. That's what he does, because he loves to see me. He's so excited. Yes, he does that to everyone. If you come to my house, you meet Hawkeye, you're going to get hit by his tail. That's one thing that you can count on for my dog, that he's going to be by your side. Now, let me tell you something else that's important. Did you know that God called us to be, I'm just going to hold on to this just for now. Maybe later I'll let you see it, okay? All right. So where was I at? Okay, so our Lord calls us to go on this really important mission, right? We've been talking about this for a few weeks. Jesus calls us to go out and to tell people about him, right? Is that sometimes scary? Sometimes it's scary to tell people about Jesus because we don't know what they'll say when we tell them about Jesus and what he did for us and the salvation he provides for anybody that turns from sin and trusts in him as Lord and Savior. Now, you know what the Bible says about that? That we don't have to be afraid. You know why? Because Jesus is with us. Did you know that? Did you know that when you tell someone about Jesus, that Jesus' spirit, his Holy Spirit, is inside of you? helping you come up with the words to say and giving you courage to fulfill his mission. And so we don't have to be afraid. Do you know that? You don't have to be afraid. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've got God's spirit inside of you. Nothing should scare you when you fulfill the mission of God. All right? Today, the word of the day, afraid. That's the word of the day today, afraid. I'm so glad you guys came up to be with me. You can go sit down now. Thank you. All right, church, I've really been looking forward to preaching this message to you this morning out of Acts chapter 18. If you have a Bible, turn it with me to Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. The title of today's message is real simple. It's Don't Be Afraid. Can you repeat that after me? Don't be afraid. Sometimes you just need somebody to say that out loud to remind you that you have nothing to fear. Right? Okay, that's what we're going to talk about today. The question that I want to answer today, the point of the passage is this. Do I, can I trust the Lord while completing His mission? Can I really, really trust Jesus when I fulfill his mission? That's the question we're going to answer today. And the answer to that question is yes, you can. And that's why the title of the sermon today is Don't Be Afraid. 
Why shouldn't we be afraid? Well, the first reason is because it's all in the Lord's hands. Look with me, Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. After this, he, meaning Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus who was recently, had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came with them, or Paul came to them. And since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. So let me give you a brief introduction of the city of Corinth. Corinth in Paul's day was the largest, most cosmopolitan city in Greece. It was a major center of commerce. Corinth was the Greek center of an east-west trade route. And with that trade, with the maritime industry, came some difficulty in the city. In fact, among the Greeks, the word Corinthia zesthai, Corinthia zesthai, that's a long Greek word, and it came to be a phrase that people would use, which is translated to live like a Corinthian. So there's a literal word in Greek that Greek-speaking people would, would use, Korean zesthai, and what that meant was to live like a Corinthian. And you know what that means? It means to live an immoral life, like to be a real sorry dog. Someone was doing something wrong. Someone was a thief. Someone uh, was harsh to somebody else. Someone had a real foul mouth. They would say, oh, you're a Korean zesthai. So literally, your city, the city of Corinth, had a phrase that the Greek-speaking world used to describe sorry dogs. That was what they were known for in Corinth. As in Athens, they worshipped a pantheon of gods. Their city was full of idols and pagan altars. There was also a large Jewish population who settled there. They had a synagogue. After founding the Corinthian church, Paul had to write to the church twice and that's in the New Testament, First and Second Corinthians. And if you're familiar with both of those books, you understand how difficult it was to live as a believer in Corinth. This is Paul's first trip there as a missionary. Upon arriving in Corinth, Paul met two believers, Aquila and Priscilla. We believe that at this time they were already Christians that made him instant friends of Paul's. And also they were tent makers. And so they, for their living, built tents. And that's what Paul was. So it made sense that he met up with them, that he worked with them using the same trade to provide for his needs. Paul, as he had done in many other cities when he came to Corinth, provided for himself. He was a, a co-vocational missionary. So Paul both built tents to provide for his needs, serving in the marketplace, and at the same time served the Lord as, uh, as a missionary proclaiming the gospel. Paul also explained in 1 Timothy 5.17 that it's also the um, opportunity for missionaries and pastors to receive support from churches. So there were times when Paul would go to a city and the church there would supply his needs so he would serve sort of full-time in the ministry in that capacity. Other times Paul would go to a city and he would serve as a tent maker providing for his own needs. And, and he did this as the Lord leads. And so today... You have pastors and missionaries. Some are, are co- or bivocational. They both have jobs and serve the church.
church and others like myself are blessed by the Lord to be able to serve you and serve his kingdom full time. So this is Paul coming to Corinth. Now let's go on in verse 4. It says he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, you remember Paul left them behind for a season. They finally caught up with him in Corinth. Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul, as he usually does, his modus operandi is to go to the Jews first and to proclaim the gospel. So when he would go to a city, if there was a synagogue there, if there were Jews in that city, he would go to them first and proclaim the gospel. Now at this point, Silas and Timothy arrive in Corinth and he's able to give his full-time attention to sharing the gospel. What we think uh, because of passages like 2 Corinthians 11.8 and Philippians 4.15, as Silas and Timothy brought with them gifts, uh, financial gifts and resources from other churches. So when they came, they brought these gifts, and then Paul was able to focus primarily on sharing the gospel. It says there, it says there in verse 4 that Paul tried to persuade them. And this means that he passionately preached the gospel to them so that they would turn from sin and trust in Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior. What did Paul share with them? Well, Paul sat down with them, and oftentimes this is what he did in these cities with his brother and sister Jews, and he would meet with them in the synagogue. He would open up the Old Testament Scriptures. Specifically, he would use Messianic prophecies. These are Scripture passages in the Old Testament that described one day this Messiah that God would send. So Paul would start there, and he would, he would talk about this Messiah God would send who would rescue Israel from their sins and provide them with this kingdom that God had oftentimes promised. So he would start there and then he would move into the modern day and he would say, this Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. Jesus came and, and he is God and, and he lived a perfect life and he perfectly fulfilled the law and, and Jesus gave his life on the cross. His blood was shed as our final atonement for our sins. Our Messiah, Jesus, died on the cross and He was, he was um, buried in the ground and on the third day He rose again, conquering sin and death. And one day our Messiah, Jesus, will return. This is the passionate plea that Paul gave to the people in the synagogue. Begging them to turn from their sin and to trust in Him as their Lord. To follow Him as the Messiah for whom they waited. Now our text here says that Many of the Jews there did not believe Paul's message about Jesus, that they rejected it. My question is, why did Paul keep going back to the synagogue? Why did he go to these cities and first visit the Jews and share with them about the Messiah? Why did he go there first? We, we see in evidence from the book of Acts that oftentimes his, his, his brother and sister Jews, the, the response to the preaching of the gospel was very limited. And then he would go out to the synagogue and into the marketplace and proclaim the gospel. And, and he had amazing results there. Well, that was because that's what God wanted him to do. Paul was a prophet 
sent first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. So that's why Paul did what he did. That's why he fulfilled that passion. That's why he fulfilled that pattern in his ministry. Once the Jews rejected his message, Paul did something that prophets often did in the Old Testament. It says he took off his coat and he would shake it like this. And he would walk out. And what that meant, exactly what it says there, is your blood is on your own hands. I'm sort of done with you. I've given you the message. You've rejected it. Now this is between you and the Lord. Now Paul is free to leave the synagogue to go out into the marketplace and to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 7 continues. So he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house, check this out, was next door to the synagogue. It's really funny. Ironic. Verse 8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. So not everybody rejected the gospel. And God gave Paul some influential people of peace to provide a ministry center for him, new opportunities for him to share the gospel. So you have Titius Justice. He's going to provide the house. He's going to provide the house church. He opens up his house right next door to the synagogue. And so he's a believer. He opens up his house. So Paul has his place to go kind of operate out of his ministry in Corinth. Then Crispus, the synagogue's leader, is one who receives the gospel and follows Christ. And then many other people in Corinth also believed in Jesus. Now, as often happens in Paul's ministry, and often happens here in modern-day missions, as people begin to hear the gospel, turn from sin, and trust in Jesus, spiritual warfare begins. Why? Because when we share the gospel, when we fulfill God's mission to see lost sinners saved by the grace of Christ, the enemy, Satan, doesn't like that. And he's going to do whatever he can to keep people from leaving the domain of darkness and walking into the marvelous light. So spiritual oppression comes. Paul continues to preach. The Corinthian church continues to grow. But there's something going on. In 1 Corinthians 2-3, Paul recounts his feelings while he was ministering in Corinth. He says, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. So Paul's sharing the gospel, fulfilling God's command in his life, but he's afraid. He's worried. Opposition is mounting. Perhaps Paul's starting to wonder, I wonder maybe if it's time for me to go. Is it time for me to go to the next city? Verse 9 continues, The Lord said to Paul, in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. 
He stayed there a year and a half, teaching the Word of God among them. So, Jesus provides Paul with some reassurance. He's gone into Corinth which, with much fear and trembling. People are being saved. The church is growing. But Paul's afraid. Paul's worried about what's going to happen to him. So Jesus sends him a vision and tells him three things. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. I'm with you, and I've got a lot of people in this city. I want to apply that part of what Jesus said to Paul to your life. Maybe you need to hear this today. Maybe you're living in fear today. Fear of sharing the gospel. Fear of living a godly life. Fear of what might happen to you tomorrow. This message is for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fearlessly fulfill God's mission for your life. You know, the Word of God commands this often. Let me read a little bit about this for you this morning. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do you need to hear that today? Don't be terrified or afraid of them. The them here is anybody that stands between you and fulfilling God's will in your life. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you, and He will not leave you, and He will not abandon you. What about 2 Timothy 1.7? For God has not given us a spirit of fear but one of power and love and sound judgment. When you turn from your sin, when you turn from the domain of darkness and toward the marvelous light, when you repented of sin and trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God indwelled you. Do you know that? When you were saved, when you were born again and became a believer in Jesus, you didn't receive from God a spirit of fear. You received the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, lives in you. That's not a spirit of fear. That's a spirit of strength and truth and righteousness and boldness to fulfill the mission of God. Therefore, verse, uh, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus. So as Jesus said to Paul, I say to you today from the Word of God, do not fear. Second, do not be silent. Church, the enemy Satan would like for nothing more than for you and I to be silent. He would like for nothing more 
than for you to keep that hope that's inside of you. The hope that was provided for you through Jesus and the salvation he provides. He would like for nothing more than for you to tell not one single person about that. Why? He doesn't want anybody else to turn from the domain of darkness and into the marvelous light. And so, his main weapon is to make us believe that we need to keep our mouths shut. To keep the testimony inside. But God tells Paul, don't fear. Don't be afraid. And second, don't be silent. He tells you and me the same thing today. Do not be silent. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus' great commission for you and me, the church, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go then and share the gospel and do it fearlessly. Psalm 96.3, we are commanded by God to declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. And then, of course, I read this earlier, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, are you? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's got power. Because sharing the gospel is the power of God. For who? For just you and me in this room? No. For everybody who would turn from sin and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. Just for the Jews? Just for you? No. For everyone who believes. And then, of course, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense for anybody who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. We are a people who got lots of hope, right? We've lived through a couple of pretty hopeless years, right? And yet, in the midst of those years, we have hope. We have hope today because we serve a great God who's doing a great work in your life and in my life and in the life of this church. We have a hope for tomorrow because we serve a Savior who's not forgotten us, who's not forsaken us, who's gone to prepare a place for us in heaven and who will one day return and take us home. We have hope. Do not fear and do not be silent. In the third part of that vision, Paul tells, Jesus tells Paul that he's with him. He said, I'm with you and I've got lots of people in this city. So what that infers is, Jesus first tells Paul, listen, I'm with you. While you're proclaiming the gospel, I'm with you. I've not left you. I'm at your side. I'm there. We're a team. We're doing this together. Then he says, I've got lots of people in this city. What he's telling Paul there is, not only the people you see who are believers now, but there's many, many, many more who will be saved. The ones who have not yet recognized Jesus as Lord and Savior. So he's telling Paul, listen, you've got to keep it up. I'm with you, and there's lots more to come. I've got a plan for Corinth i got people who are going to be saved in Corinth. You can't be silent. They need to hear the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, has the end of the age come? No, we're still here. 
Right? We're in the age. The age of the church. So is Jesus forsaken us? Has He left us? No. It says right there that He's with us. And in Acts 1.8, He's not only with us, but He's empowered us. We, we've got Holy Spirit power up in here today. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Sometimes I feel like we're at the end of the earth down here in Key West, right? God has not forsaken this place. We are kind of at the end of the road, right? US 1 ends here. We're at kind of the end of this part of the earth. And the good news is Jesus is with us. He's with us here at the end of the road, at the bottom of US 1. Jesus is here. The question is, will we be afraid? Will we be silent? Or will we speak up and tell people about Jesus and live for Jesus? Because he's with us. And he's got lots of people in this city. Both you all and me. And many, many, many more who need to hear the gospel and who will be saved. There are people outside of this building who are going to get saved. And Jesus knows who they are. And he wants you to tell them about him. So they can hear the gospel and be saved and join this fellowship and join this mission and be a part of what Jesus is doing in the Keys. I want to share a story about a man named Polycarp. Lived a long time ago. This guy was tough as nails. I'm just going to read this to you. It said, it's not clear exactly why he was suddenly at the age of 86 subject to arrest. But when he heard the Roman officials were intent on arresting him, he decided to wait for them in his home. Panic-stricken friends pleaded with him to flee. And so to calm them, he finally agreed to withdraw to a small estate outside of town. But while in prayer there, he received some sort of vision. Whatever he saw or heard, we don't know, he simply reported to his friends that he understood, I must be burned alive. Roman soldiers eventually discovered Polycarp's whereabouts and came to his door. When his friends urged him to run, Polycarp replied, God's will be done. And he let the soldiers into his house and he sat down with them at his table. He was escorted to a local proconsul, Stadius Quadratus, who interrogated him in front of a crowd of curious onlookers. Polycarp seemed unfazed by the interrogation. He carried on a witty dialogue with Quadratus until Quadratus lost his temper and threatened Polycarp. He'd be thrown to the wild beast, he'd be burned at the stake, and so on. Polycarp just told Quadratus that while the proconsul's fire may last for a little while, the fires of judgment reserved for the ungodly, he added, cannot be quenched. Polycarp concluded, but why do you delay? Come, do what you will. Eighty-six years I've served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Soldiers then grabbed him to nail him to a stake, but Polycarp stopped them. Leave me as I am. 
For he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unmoved without the security you desire from nails. He prayed aloud, the fire was lit, and his flesh was consumed. The chronicler of his martyrdom said it was not as burning flesh, but as bread baking or as gold and silver refined in a furnace. Whether Jesus rescues us from the fire or allows us to succumb to it, he's with us. And he's already secured the eternal victory. And so like Paul, we will not be afraid. We will not be silent. Because he's with us. And he's got a whole lot of people in this city. Do you believe that God is sovereign over everything? Do you believe that God is powerful? That he is provident? Paul believed this. And shortly after Paul received this vision from Jesus, he was going to need it. Look at verse 12. While Gallio was proconsul over Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or of a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are, but, but if these are questions about words and names in your law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be judge of such things. So he drove them from the tribunal and they all seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Gallio. So this event occurred early in proconsul Gallio's tenure. And the way things worked in the Roman world was, was this way. These leaders in these like kind of obscure cities, they didn't want to draw any attention to themselves in their city. Their goal was just keep the peace. Just keep things the way they need to be. Uh, we want to honor Rome and Caesar, but we don't, we don't want riots. We don't want any problems. So when the Jews gathered and kind of get a, a, a group together and things start to get real, Gallio looks at him and he recognizes real quick, like, okay, this isn't uh, an issue of, of this, these, this guy breaking Roman law. This is something between you guys. And so I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you handle this yourselves. Now, this is important and a fulfillment of Jesus' promise to Paul in Corinth. Because if Gallio would have heard the, the, the trial, if he would have heard the accusations and ruled against Paul, there would have been a case law established in that whole region. It would have been very difficult for Paul to continue ministering and serving and sharing the gospel in other cities around Corinth. So Gallio doesn't do anything about it. He dismisses the case as ludicrous and he leaves them be. And so the Jews, they, they're pretty mad you know, that nothing's done about this. So they grab Sosthenes who's probably the ringleader, and they're kind of mad about this embarrassment. So they just grab him and they beat him in front of everybody. So that's what they got uh, for uh, trying to take Paul to uh, court. Remember what, what the Lord said to Paul in his vision. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will lay a hand on you or hurt you, because I have many people in this city. In this particular instance, Jesus made Paul a promise. You keep preaching, I'm going to take care of you. 
The principle we learn in this incident is that God is sovereign in every single circumstance. Whatever mission, whatever decision, whatever gospel conversation He's called you to, He'll be with you. And if it's His will for you to communicate a message to someone, it doesn't matter where or when or how you're going to do that. If God wants it to take place, it will take place. And so we have no one to fear but God alone. God's the one who deserves our worship and our fear. No one else, nothing else. God is sovereign. The last thing, trust the Lord. Do we trust the Lord? When when push comes to shove, that's the question every one of us has to answer. Do I really trust the Lord? Look at verse 18. After staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. He shaved his head in Senkri because of a vow he had taken. When they had reached Ephesus, he left them there, and he himself entered the synagogue and debated the Jews. When they had asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined, but he said farewell and added, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus upon landing in Caesarea. He went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. So once Paul's time in Corinth was over, he left and and set sail for Syria. His new friends Priscilla and Aquila went with him. On their way to Syria, he shaves his head to fulfill a vow. And this is a, uh, an Old Testament Jewish practice. So what we see here is Paul still practiced as a Jew. And, and that gave him opportunities to reach the Jews. He, he maintained or became a Jew to win the Jews. That's why he was welcome in synagogues. That's why they listened to him when he shared the message about Jesus. On their way to Syria, they stop in Ephesus. Paul enters the synagogue again, shares the gospel. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila there and then heads back out to Caesarea, Jerusalem, and then ultimately Antioch, the home of his sending church. When Paul's friends didn't want him to go, they asked him to stay a little bit longer. I'm sure they were sad that he was going to leave because they probably wouldn't see him again for a year or two. He declines, but he says something very interesting. I want to kind of close with this. He says, I'll come back to you again if God wills. What struck my heart when I read that was this. Do I live that way? When I'm trying to make a decision, when I'm waking up in the morning or going to bed at night, is my life directed toward The idea that I'm going to do whatever I do if God wills it. Do we trust in the Lord and His will for our lives? Or do we proceed through life following our own will? Listen to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know Him and He will make your path straight. So let me just apply this briefly to our lives and then I'll close. First, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Do I have enough faith in the Lord Jesus to obey His will for my life in the way that I understand it from the Word of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the wisdom of fellow believers in the church? 
Will I trust in that will above my own intellect? Doesn't mean God doesn't want you to make wise decisions. He does. But what takes precedence in your life? Your will or God's will? Am I bent towards seeking after what he wants for me? When I know what he's called me to do from his word, am I willing to submit? Ooh, that's a tough word, right? We don't like that. Am I willing to submit to him? It says there, in all your ways, know him. That means in all your ways, seek him. In all your ways, submit to him. Well, when we seek after the Lord, when we trust in Him above all things, when we submit to His will as we know it, what does He do? He will make make your paths straight. That means He removes obstacles. That means He makes a way. That means He leads you to fulfill your purpose. Trusting in the Lord... It's similar to going to college. Have you ever been to college or trade school or anything like that? There's a certain amount of credits that you need to complete in order to graduate, right? And so you go there and you enroll, and I remember enrolling as a very younger man with more hair, enrolling in college and taking that first class and just thinking, man, 120 credits. That's what a four-year education was when I went to college. And they were like three credits, two credits, whatever. Just a lot of classes. And it was like time, you commit to doing the class, and then you finish that class, you start some more classes. But it's over time. You don't just graduate. You don't sign up for college and go one day, and then you have a degree, right? It takes time. This is what God's called us to. It's not just a, a one-time declaration of trust and submission to Jesus. That's, that's kind of how it all starts. We're in the domain of darkness. We hear the gospel. God reveals to us the marvelous light of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We turn from sin, trust in Him. We receive the Holy Spirit. And then we're called to this process of sanctification, of following Jesus, of being His disciple. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means we follow Him. As we study the Word, as we pray, follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom and wise counsel of fellow believers in the church, We're on this journey to be more like Christ. The calling upon our lives is to take that step, one step at a time, trusting in God, submitting to Him, following His will. And as we do those things, we're made more like Christ. Obstacles are removed from our lives as we fulfill His purpose. So I asked you a question when we started, and I want to ask you this question as we close. Our team's going to come. We're going to have a time of invitation. Can I trust Jesus while I fulfill his mission? I don't know what's going on in your life today. we got a lot going on in this congregation, I can tell you that. We got a lot of really good stuff. God's moving in amazing ways. We got a lot of spiritual warfare going on right now in here. We got struggling marriages. We got people battling addiction, drug and alcohol abuse, people trying to find jobs, people trying to find homes. 
There's a lot. There's a heavy burden on my heart, on the heart of our leadership in this church. And so I really feel like we need to answer this question today. Will I trust God through that fire? Will I trust God through this struggle? That God's made us a promise. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. I'm with you. I've not forsaken you, Jesus says. And I've got a lot of people in this city. So we're going to have a time of invitation. I want to invite everybody to stand. Can you stand with me, please? If you're unfamiliar with this time, we're going to sing a song together and give you an opportunity to respond to what God's doing in your heart. You can do that, you know, at your seat. You can come up and pray at the altar. If you want me to pray for you, I will. Some of you in here maybe need to take that first step of trusting in Jesus for the very first time. Others need to submit to him in one way or another. Maybe he's calling you to join this church or be baptized. Maybe there's something going on in your life. In this whole sermon, the, the Spirit's just really been working on you about that. and You need to submit to the Lord for whatever he's called you to do. Don't let this time pass by. If the Spirit's working in your heart, respond to that by faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, we as your church, we've got so much going on. We have a lot of struggles. We got a lot of victories. And so we're coming to you at your invitation, God. We're coming to your altar to lay these burdens down. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to trust in you. Help us not to be silent, but to continue to proclaim your gospel. Help us to remember that you're always with us and that you have a lot of people in this city. During this time, I pray that you would give us a spirit of strength and boldness and faith to take that step forward, whatever it is, in obedience to you. In Jesus' name I pray.